0: seeing regular ordinary people doing extraordinary things for others who are out there protecting us and and for me that's where i get my
1: inspiration Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin, and we have with us today our guest, Mary Ann Carter, Chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts. Welcome to Arts Engines.
0: Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. And I'm so looking forward to the day when I can see you again in person.
1: Yes, absolutely. I share that completely. Um, so kind of just, I thought we'd just kind of start out, you know, you serve as the 12th chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts. You are, you know, the, our nation's leader as it relates to the arts. How did your passion for the arts kind of emanate from or, or come from? Was there kind of a moment in your life that, that made you go, this is something that I really want to dedicate myself to?
0: Well, it, it's interesting, Erin, because I think I was just um, an average art fan. I love to go to shows. Um, I love to dabble here and there, but I never really considered myself as an arts person. And then when my daughter was seven years old, she was diagnosed with dyslexia. And so I started searching around for a school where I knew she could be successful. I knew that a traditional environment wouldn't be right for her. And so I found a school that specialized um, in in kids with dyslexia. And the real difference in this school was that they integrated the arts into the teaching method. So she mostly learns visually. Um, It would be difficult for her to sit down and go and read a textbook. So these teachers have found ways to teach kids utilizing the arts, and it has made such a difference in our lives and specifically my daughter's life that I became such a huge proponent um, and realized this was something I felt I could really help with, spreading the word on what art means to everyday life.
1: That's just extraordinary, and I know there's so many times when we see this role that the arts can play, uh, especially in uh, amongst young people. So thank you for that. So when we think about, you know, the agency as a whole, a lot of people are like, ah, you know, that's the chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, you know, and you kind of view, um, you know, kind of this role in. Sometimes I think people do in almost a symbolic way, you know, this here is this person who's, you know, kind of leading these arts. But could you kind of share, like, what is it kind of like behind the scenes? What's the day-to-day life of a chairman of the NEA?
0: Well, I take a very active role at the agency, um, probably much to the staff's chagrin. um, But I like to know what's going on and what we're doing. Uh, we implemented many things. Um, Outreach to me is really important and making sure that we are serving underserved communities. And to that end, we have extended our outreach to HBCUs, the Historically Black Colleges and Universities. We've also convened the first ever in the nation um, uh, conference with Native Americans, Alaskan natives, and Native Hawaiians, to let them know what are the resources within the federal government that are available to you, and so outreach has been um, a huge priority. But also, um, and I take a great interest in this, is making sure arts are utilized in our health and well-being, and we we see that all the time now. Um, during this pandemic, when we're all sitting at home, arts—it's is what is getting people through the isolation. But um, yeah. but going back to what what is actually uh, happening at the agency, one of the um, one of the items I'm most proud of is our work with our military men and women who are recovering from traumatic brain injuries, and we have uh, a program called Creative Forces, and what that is is utilizing art therapy as part of the clinical treatment for our men and women who are recovering. And I take such great pride in that. And we partner with the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs, and it continues to expand. So um, so you ask behind the scenes, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but these are just some of the things that I am personally really involved
1: with in terms of promoting. Awesome. I mean, and there's such an extraordinary breadth uh, to the agency that it seems. And so whether it's education, which you, you know, reference, or obviously this health and the impact for, for Wounded Warriors, it's it's really extraordinary. When you kind of look now with everything related to the pandemic and and all of that, is there kind of, is there something that you view as the, as the primary role of the agency when you take all that breath into account? Is there, you know, is there kind of something like, you know, this is what our primary, if we get this piece right, we're, we're really, you know, kind of doing a a good job with this work?
0: Well, there's a lot of things in that question, Erin. I think our number one priority right now, and this is what everyone at the agency is focused on, it's the survival of the arts organizations across the country. They are hurting. Um, you know, there's a lot of comparison between the pandemic, the economy now, and um, the economy in 2008 with the um, recession that hit. But it's so much worse now because all across America are arts organizations, their doors are closed. The facilities aren't allowing anyone in. There's no income coming in. And that's drastic. And it may be that way for a while. Our focus right now is survival. And, you know, I am so appreciative that Congress and the President recognized the economic impact the arts have on the economy. You know, $877 billion we add to the GDP, that's almost 4.5%, over 5 million workers within the arts and cultural sector. That's a lot of people. And so by recognizing that and um, giving additional funding to the National Endowment for the Arts, we are utilizing that money to preserve as many jobs as possible and to make sure as many organizations as possible can open their doors when we're on the other side of this pandemic.
1: Definitely, definitely. So to, to kind of bring a little uh, Detroit-centric, where, uh, where I'm broadcasting from here, um, you know, the, there's all of these historical hardships in, in Detroit and in communities like Detroit. And, you know, kind of given a lot of these challenges that people are now experiencing because of the pandemic, because of COVID, What are your thoughts about and how can those of us in the arts um, uh, uh, really advocate for their importance? So in other words, how do you view the importance of the arts for communities specifically like Detroit or similar communities around the country?
0: Well, you know, Detroit's a perfect example to talk about the arts. You know, as you um, may recall, we brought the National Council on the Arts to Detroit for one of our meetings outside of Washington, and it was an amazing trip. And the reason we picked Detroit was because, A, there's such cultural pride in Detroit. And the second was, we know that the city is committed to making sure the arts are integrated into all community and neighborhood revitalization. And you saw it when we were there, um, I guess it was last summer now, and you could see the difference. So Detroit is actually now a model to prop up, but the arts are economic engines, and that's why it's vital that we preserve the jobs and make sure these organizations can reopen on the other side of the pandemic, because they really are um, economic engines for not just urban communities like Detroit, but for rural communities scattered all over Michigan and the rest of the country. And we know that um, typically a dollar that we uh, appropriate or that we spend in a grant award leverages $9 um, from in private money and to the economy. That is a great return on investment. Everyone should want that type of return. And so not only will we need the arts just for solace um, and relaxation and um, as, we, as we find our way in what our new normal is gonna be, but we need the arts for the economic input that they
1: bring to a community. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm lucky enough to see that impact that goes on here in Detroit, uh, which is tremendous. As you think back to, you know, kind of that visit to Detroit, is there anything that kind of stands out for you that was the favorite moment for you or favorite kind of part of uh, of Detroit and what we have to offer to our community and to the world?
0: Well, I loved the trip, Aaron. We had so much fun. Um, You know, such a a big shout out to the Michigan Arts Council and their executive director, Allison, and Culture Source um, with Omari. They just put together such a great program for us. Um, So everything stood out. But, um, you know, we got to sing at the um, Motown Museum. And that was actually a lot of fun to sort of be in a space Um, where so many famous people have stood before and really got their start there. So I would say that was a standout. But there is a picture of the council and uh, myself standing in front of the Motown mansion. And the picture, it, it so reflects what a great time we had and how much we all like each other. It's such a genuine uh, picture, and everyone's smile is so genuine. And I have that picture on my phone. I love it so much. And um, I think that was probably the real standout for me was what a great, great group of people I got to spend an incredible time in Detroit with.
1: Awesome, awesome. And again, it's the, you know the power of the arts to – bring us all together and to, to bind us. And so unfortunately we're running really short on time, but I wanted to kind of get from the perspective that you're able to have in this, you know, uh, sense of, of the nation and with the pandemic going on, what kind of do you see in terms of the future for the arts? You know, so many arts leaders are, looking to try to lead their institutions and say, what's our, you know, are, are we going to be back to normal in a year, right? Or in nine months? Or yeah. do you have any sense from the data, from, from just everything that you've been seeing of kind of what do you envision things will be like in, you know, in a year or, or two? And will we go back to normal? And do you have any sense or uh, kind of suggestions of what arts leaders should be doing as they think about this and try to plan for their organizations?
0: Well, I think we have to stop thinking that normal is what we thought normal was. We're going to have a new normal, and it will be normal, but it will be different. And we're actually
1: surveying
0: right now um, the different disciplines within the arts community. What is it going to take so people, our constituencies, know that it is safe to come in and enjoy themselves. I think that's the big issue and that's the big question. You know, a football stadium may hold 60,000 people. You can still get 10 or 20,000 in and have the um, physical distance that you need. You can't really do that as much in a theater or a dance studio or a concert hall or a museum. And so I think that's how we have to think about things. Um, The other thing that worries me is I've seen different polling talking about um, how long it will take for people to feel safe to go into that type of environment? Well, we're fighting for survival right now, and trying to get through the immediate uh, crisis. It's not going to matter if we get through the immediate crisis, and our institutions and organizations still have to wait another year before people come through the door because they won't survive then. And so. I think there has to be a, um, a a a meeting of the minds on what is safe, what does that look like? Is it providing masks and gloves to people who come through the door? Is it making them have masks and gloves before they come through the door? Um, you know so many of our museums are interactive now. How often um, is everything going to be cleaned uh, so you know I think the thought process of what equals a safe environment is going to be the big issue that needs to be discussed um, and figured out um, because no one wants their workers to not be safe. No one wants the people coming through the door not to be safe. So what is that equilibrium? Where, where do we find that and how quickly can we get that in place? And I think that those are the discussions we are starting to have. With the stakeholders, and hopefully we'll um, be able to put forth some recommendations that set you know a minimum bar across the board on um, a standard that everyone can achieve, and then I think you know that will start getting people through the door again. If they know it's a safe environment, they'll come through the door. They want to come in. They want to be a part of it. Um, but we, we need to make sure that they understand it is safe for them as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. But one last just quick question. So, you know, with so many people are in lockdown and things can get challenging. And it's, you know, how do we kind of deal with all of this. What do you do in terms of kind of finding that daily inspiration or, you know, when things are tough or it seems like, you know, we're never gonna just be, you know, able to just go out freely. um, Is there some source of inspiration that you find?
0: Well, you know, I spend a lot of my time scouring news articles and the web on what the arts community is doing to help our first responders. And I try to promote that as much as possible because it, I, it seems like all we hear are negative things going on, but there's a lot of good going on. There's a lot of positive stuff and I wanna be able to promote that. Um, and so that's really where I get a lot of inspiration. Just you know, seeing regular ordinary people doing extraordinary things for others who are out there protecting us. And and for me, that's where I get my inspiration.
1: Awesome. Well, Mary Ann Carter, you are truly one of the great arts engines in our nation. Thank you so much for joining us and for taking this time. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Aaron.